You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 100 of So You Want to Be a Writer. Parade! Yes, streamers, parade. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Very well, Valerie. I'm actually just trying to take a selfie of myself. (laughs) Oh, okay. While we're podcasting. Well, I thought I'll take a selfie while while we're recording the very, the 100th episode and then, you know, idea. I'll put it on Instagram and that will be like a moment. Yeah, but good now, idea. But I can't turn my camera around, so I'm not doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to explain to a friend of mine on the weekend. Um, How hopeless I, I am? Well, no. I went to her birthday. I said, let's take a selfie for your birthday. And it was sort of in, it was in a pub, so it was a little bit dark. And she says, turn the flash on. And I said, you can't turn the flash on because – the flash is on the other side. If we're taking a selfie, there's no flash on this side. And she's like, no, no, turn the flash on. I said, no, 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 you can't turn the flash on. The the phone doesn't work that way. Ten minutes later, she still didn't get why I couldn't turn the flash on to do a selfie. Anyway, Mm. just thought I'd share that. Thanks for sharing. (laughs) I'm not trying to take a selfie because I haven't got my makeup on. No, actually, neither do I. And I'm just looking at myself and it's really not good at all. (laughs) I'm going to absolutely give up on that idea immediately. Anyway, so let's talk about other things. How are you, Valerie? Good, good. But can you believe we're at episode 100? No. I, I've, I had a little, a little reminder came up on my – how's this? It's quite hilarious. A little reminder came up on my Facebook page, you know how they do the memories thing? Oh, this yes. morning from two years ago, and it was me saying to my friends, you know, in desperation, please go and listen to my new podcast. ha, <laughs> ha. How's that? So, like, it's like on almost to the day that we yeah, are doing the one hundred, right. which is kind of weird, really. Well, one hundred episodes later, it's yeah, it's it's amazing. I can't believe we're here. No, neither can I. Still anyway. having as much fun as we did in episode oh, one. Oh, like just so much fun. Well, a just big more fun. Big, big thank you to everyone in the podcast community for all of your support and for listening and for downloading and for subscribing and for giving us shout outs because honestly, we would not be here if it wasn't for you guys. So thank you. And we love yous all. Love yous all. (laughs) Isn't isn't that how it goes? (laughs) Yes. And a big shout out to Tracy L. Batterai, uh, who has left a review on iTunes saying, and she's called it Getting Out from Under the Rock. And she says, love this podcast. Being a writer in the Aussie Outback can be rather isolating. Mm. This podcast has really helped my writing evolve and is a helpful, friendly way to find out about the writing world outside of my Parker and fountain pens and leather-bound notebooks. Thank you, Tracy. Much yeah. appreciated. And, and hello uh, to you out there in the outback. 
Absolutely. If you are listening from the Outback, do give us a shout out and say hi uh, on Twitter or Facebook or, or wherever you can find us. Hmm. Um, we're pretty easy to find on social media. Just Google us. Uh, but also next week, Al, yes, we yes, will be announcing the winner of our little competition because in the last couple of weeks, in the lead up to our 100th podcast, we've been running a competition for people who have been kind enough to leave us a review on iTunes. One of you is going to win a $100 voucher to use on courses at the Australian Writer Centre. So you still have one week left because we will be announcing this next week. So get your reviews in. and We're expecting a rush. Yes, and you could be a winner. Winner. But what have you been up to, Al? Uh, what have I been up to? Well, Since you know, we last ironically, <laughs> yes. ironically um, I've been so busy with all mm-hmm. those manuscripts and editing and things that I was doing that I had I had neglected my um, How to Make Time to Write course, which I am working on oh. for the Australian Writers' Centre. So um, once I got the edit done on that, I decided on the manuscripts and things, I decided that it was time for me to actually – you know, devote some time to that course. So that's what I've been doing. Yes. I've been making time to make time to write the making time to write course. <laughs> I know. It's very meta. It's just, I know. I'm having a very meta moment there. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Oh, my God. Wait. What? what? I have to ask you. Yes. Did you eat the banoffee pie, Valerie? This is the oh. question that we are all on the edge of our seats. Did you actually eat that frog so that you could eat the banoffee pie? Yes. So if you're new to this podcast, what we spoke about last week was I had a major editing project to do and it's been hanging over my head forever. And my incentive, if once I complete it, was I could go eat banoffee pie. So I've been without banoffee pie for ages as this thing has been hanging over my head and I've been procrastinating. But uh, Alison put me on the spot last week and she made mm. me accountable to everyone listening and uh, she said, I expect you to be eating that banoffee pie next week and to finish that project. And I'm very happy to say that I ate the banoffee pie. Oh, Valerie, <laughs> the excitement of it all. And the was it as excitement. you dreamed it would be? It was as I dreamed it would be. <laughs> and I was working so hard on this thing and I was so, and, and, you know, I just needed to get it done. And by the time I I finished, it was about quarter past eight on a weekday in the evening. Mm. And I went, oh, my God. I started doing a dance around the house. And Mm. then I thought to myself, I'm going to get the banoffee pie. It it requires driving 20 minutes to get. Where do you go for banoffee pie at 20 past eight? Char-grilled Charlie's at Mona Vale. It's the best banoffee pie. Okay, it's the second best banoffee pie in Australia. The best is actually Sopra at uh, Potts Point or wherever Sopra is these days. I think it's in Potts Point. Um, but the but that's really too far away. And so this Char- comes – Charlie's what? Char-grilled Charlie's. Char-grilled I know. Charlie's. It sounds ridiculous that such a place would have the second, best, the second best banoffee pie in Australia and a very close second, I have to say, very close. And it's $15 at Sopra and $6.90 at Char-grilled Charlie's. But anyway, um, this is not sponsored, by the way. I was going to say, big <laughs> shout-out to Char-grilled Charlie's for their best, second best banoffee pie in Australia. But a very close second, very close. Um, anyway, I had to drive 20 kilometres. And I thought, oh, my God, what if they've run out? So I rang first. Oh, you did not. (laughs) Did you ask them to put aside a pie for you? They had several, so it was okay. And and I got there and I came home and I was like a pig in mud. (laughs) 
Did you eat the whole pie? No, it's rather large. So I had half one night and half another night. Right. Well, there yes. you go, everybody. You Val go. has enjoyed her banoffee pie, <laughs> and I hope that whatever your equivalent of a banoffee pie is, you are also enjoying it this week because you have kicked some form of writing goal. Exactly. Use it. Use it to your advantage. Don't just Absolutely. indulge willy-nilly. No. Mm. Gosh, God forbid, not no. willy-nilly. <laughs> but but what's, been, what's wrong with willy-nilly? I love a good willy-nilly. It's <laughs> So, what's been happening in the world of writing and publishing and blogging this week? I believe you have a link for us. I do have a link for us because um, our friend Kate Forsyth, who of course is a presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre and an international best-selling author, go Kate, um, has written a post about plotting and it's a bit of an event for me if Kate writes on this subject because she is... Um, highly regarded as the queen of plotting and planning, and she does a brilliant job. So even a non-plotter confirmed, like myself, will always read um, a post by her Mm. about this subject. And she has written a very detailed post, and I really recommend that you go to the show notes. It's on her blog, kateforsyth.com.au, Kate's blog. Mm. But um, we will put the link in the show notes. Have a read of this post because she talks about the fact that, you know, she hates being asked whether or not, you know, she's a plotter or pantser because it implies that those two are binary opposites. Mm. Um, Whereas she, and I agree with her completely on this, is that everybody finds their own middling point somewhere. Like some people are diehard plotters. as We have spoken to Kylie Ladd, for example, with her Mm. spreadsheet. And she, of course, you know, gave us the infamous tapeworm quote, which if you haven't listened to it, (laughs) you should have a listen to her interview just to hear it. Um, she's a, a, an absolute uh, plotter. But then we have you know, other people like Leanne Moriarty, Michael Robotham, a couple of other you know people we've spoken to for the podcast who don't plot at all. They will just mm. start with an idea and they will write and they will do their thing. Um, so, But me- most authors are somewhere between those two things, um, generally speaking. And she talks about the fact that, you know, good writing needs to seem effortless as mm. though the reader was making it up as they go along. Um, but for her, the more effortless the writing seems, the more work has gone into it. She likes architectural girders in her story, but she likes them to be invisible. And so to do that, she plots quite, you know, quite closely. She she gets to know, like she basically says she never starts a novel with a blank page, mm. never. She spends a lot of time thinking about character's story, the structure, the setting, and she writes it all down. She has notebooks and things. And then, but the the thing I think many of our listeners will find really, really useful is her breakdown of what a plot is. And she has these great little drawings that show you, you know, your hero climbing a mountain and coming down the other side. She has the the structure of the of the three acts. She has the climax. It's really worth having a look at this post if you're kind of struggling a little bit with this because, you know. Getting it right takes a lot of practice and I think yeah. that if you get some help to get this, you know, to, at, with a starting point, I think that you will find it um, really, really helpful. So even if you don't plot your novels, knowing mm. where things go, even instinctively, yes. is really, really important. Like I don't plot my novels but I have a three-act structure in my head yes. the whole time. And once I've written it, it's quite interesting, once I've written it, I go back and I, it, it's like there's, you know, end of act one, there's the turning point. Oh, halfway through, we've got this guy. And it's all in about the right spot. Yep. I just haven't actually written it down that way, like before I started. So I think it's um, it's definitely what you, you need to know this stuff 
even yes. if you're going to pants your novel. Even if you're going to start with an idea, you need to know where all these things have to go, I think. Absolutely. And if you are thinking that you're going to pants your novel, because that's very freeing and very liberating and that idea might appeal to you, just do the exercise anyway. Like where figure out your three-act structure and have a look at the, the key plot plot points in a story and just, you know, humor yourself in a sense and plot them anyway. And you don't have to follow it, but just see what comes out of it if you do that. Or the alternative is to take your first draft and then get the structure and Mm. see if you can overlay that structure onto your first draft. Yes, yes. Because, you know, if, if it's not there, then your story's lacking. You need to have a look at where the story, you know, like if you're, if you get to sort of like the, if your major turning point is, is halfway through your book, you Mm. need to drag it back. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, you've got to look at where, where things happen. Where does your story start? Have you started your story in the right place? And, you know, generally speaking, um, it takes a lot of practice to learn to start your story in the right place. Too many of us will start with backstory and that's not where we need to be. So, have a read of Kate's post. It's very good. Great post. Uh, And if you're looking for the show notes, an easy way for you to get to them is to go to soyouwanttobearwriter.com.au. Now, it's been a very busy week at the Australian Writers' Centre over the last week because this week uh, the new course in self-publishing in ebooks and print uh, goes live and there's been a lot of interest in this course. Mm. So many people have pre-ordered and I know that if you've pre-ordered or even if you haven't pre-ordered, you're going to love it because this is hand-holding to the nth degree. This is step-by-step on what you need to do in order to self-publish if you are going down the self publishing route that is Mm. now we do recommend that if you are writing fiction you try the traditional route first because there are so many um, bits of infrastructure that you don't need that, that you can you know take advantage of that you can rely on but if you feel inclined to self-publish or if you are not a fiction writer maybe you're a writer of uh, business books or you know something else how-to books then self-publishing is certainly uh, an option and this is an awesome course so you should check it out at writerscenter.com.au slash self-pub but moving on to something completely different, mm. yes, I read this link this week, Al, and it spurred a question which I think is um, really relevant because a lot of people ring me up and they say, you know, I think I need a writing mentor. Mm. You must get that right, Al. I do. You know, and where do I get a writing mentor? And I say, I want to unpack it a little bit first. I don't just say, here, here's a name. I, I need to ask, well, why do you want a writing mentor? What do you expect your writing mentor to do for you? Now, what do you think a writing mentor should do for someone, Al? What's, what's their role? Well, I think a mentor is probably going to read your work closely, give you, so it's, it's about the writing, give you feedback. It's almost like a, um, assessing your manuscript as you go, proce- mm. like a, a process-driven um, process driven role, I guess, would, would be what it would be for me. Yes. Perhaps, Very yeah. much focused on feedback on the writing. On the writing, yes. Yes. And that's exactly what a writing mentor should do. But a lot of people, I think, are confusing uh, what a coach does and what a mentor does. Because sometimes when I ask the question, what do you want the writing mentor to do? They tell me, I just want somebody to keep me accountable. 
Mm. I just want to get to 3,000 words per week and I Mm. need somebody there, you know, with a whip or with a carrot, just encourage me so that I can come back to them and say that I've written my 3,000 words or I've rung that agent or I've done, you know, X, Y, Z. And the thing is that it's really important for you to ask yourself, do you really need a writing mentor or are you actually just looking for what could be fulfilled by a life coach? Yeah, you or know? a coach, just a coach in general. Like just, it's, yes. Because um, that's kind of what I'm doing with my Skype sessions. Most people want, what most people seem to want is cheerleading. They mm. want someone to get them across the line. They want someone to, to, yeah, as you say, it's like, you know, have you done your thousand words this week? Where are, you, where are the blocks? Have you made the time to do what you need to do? It's that kind of stuff. And I, the, I think that it's because a lot of people struggle to finish the manuscript. And I think that it's just that whole sense of I, I want to get this done and I'm not quite sure how to do it. So if somebody's mm. waiting there to cheer me on or give me a kick up the backside or whatever it is that needs to be done, um, then that is what um, that's what I need. And I, I think yes. that seems to be what most well that's what most people who have contacted me in the past have wanted. And so that's why I've set my Skype sessions up the way that they are. Yes, and I think that a coach precedes a mentor because you actually need to get the words out there before a mentor can actually comment on the words. Absolutely. And if you're looking for a writing mentor who's putting themselves out as a writing mentor as opposed to coach, it's not their job to ring you up or it's not their job to say, go on, you can do it, you can do it, you know what I mean? Write the 3,000 words, get your banoffee pie or anything like that. No, no. There's no banoffee pie involved at all. No. (laughs) Not at all. So, yeah, if you are looking for a coach or a mentor, just have a think about where you are in the writing process and what you want to get out of this person because they are very different roles and, and I encourage you to make sure that you're asking for the right person so that you're mm. not disappointed. True, true. But another thing that I've seen a lot of lately is comments like on social media and on Facebook and, um, you know, various places of writers who are wondering, and I'm sure you've seen this too, Al, about, you know, because we often talk about building your author platform and you've just released that awesome course at the Australian Writer Centre called Build Your Author Platform, Al. And uh, sorry, that excellent course. I was was reading the post. I got completely distracted. Sorry. Yes. Excellent course. Excellent course. And one of the things that you suggest is to build your online presence and you Mm. can do that via a blog and obviously you need a website and so on. And I see a people sort of saying, I don't know what to blog about. I, you know, I have no idea because I don't want to write about my job and I don't want to write about, you know, writing or whatever. So I came across a couple of useful blog posts, I think. Um, One is with the Huffington Post and it's written by someone called Fauzia Burke and we'll put the link in the show notes. And she has a great little list of, you know, why blogging is so important because I think there are a lot of people who are really um, hesitant about whether they should blog. One of the things she says is blogging is the foundation of your digital house. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, it's it's not just your website. It's also to show that you're not just, a, a you know, two pages on the inter- internet. You've got other mm-hmm. things to say. Mm-hmm. She also says that uh, blogging clarifies your audience because it really helps you build that audience as well for when you eventually do have a book or whatever it is. Um, it's you, you use your blog to build buzz. I think that's so important. There's so many people who I meet who say, oh, I'll start blogging when I have my book out. Mm-mm. It's like, oh my god, that's so wrong, right? Mm, that's right. You need to you need to blog 
you know, you need to start today, even if your book's three years away, because at the end of the day, you know, the, the key is having a group of people who are interested enough in you to be excited when your book comes out, Yeah, you know, beyond your mum and her two best friends, you know, it's <laughs> kind of got to be, um, it's really, it, it, it just makes such, it makes such a difference. I just, I can't even... I, I don't know how to emphasize that enough, but it makes such a difference to to have this community that is going to, you know, a you know, not everyone in that community is going to buy your book. I need to think you need to get that straight, but they will talk about it and they will get excited for you because just because you know you're part of their crew. So yes. it's really really important to have that going on. Yeah, absolutely. And in another uh, post on nail your novel um they've also written who is the writer on nail your novel uh that's a good question Morris. (laughs) she has written yes it's at the top she (laughs) has written that you know you don't have to necessarily write about writing but you might write stories about your stories so she says what made you write your book most of us could pinpoint an experience or a twinkling idea that set us on the path work on your origin story so that's a great way of writing about your book without writing without actually putting your book on, on there no, and you just let you can let people know that you're writing a book without actually having to write about the fact that you're writing a book. Like it's yes. like, oh, you know, I went for a, you know, I mean, hey, look, honestly, get a dog. Best thing I ever did as far as <laughs> blogging was concerned. <laughs> but you know, you can talk about, you know, you write, you walk with the dog, you saw something, and it reminded you of something, and you went home and you put it in your manuscript. Like it, it doesn't. You don't have to be. You don't have to be like um, giving details. You don't have to do any of those things. You just have to let people know that you're doing it. It's yeah. as simple as that. Talk about it as part of your life without necessarily, you know, putting your manuscript online, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Exactly. And also just getting people excited by doing things like showing the evolution of your cover. Yeah. Uh, you know, readers love that. And then they're really, they have a vested interest in it for when your book comes out. Yep, absolutely. Like there's a lot, everyone says, I don't know what to blog about. It's like you blog about what you're passionate about. You blog about your stuff because you're getting people interested in you as much as you are in your book. So yes, it's important that, pe- that people like to feel like they know you. Yeah, Even definitely. If, you know, so you reveal tiny slivers of your life, whatever you're happy with putting out there, that give people a sense of who you are, allow you to showcase your writing because that's, you know, what you're doing. And develop your voice and people will come for your voice as much as for anything else. Yeah. And it's, and, and as Alison said, it's slivers of your life. You don't have to get personal. There's, no. And I always say to people, there's a big difference between personal and personality. Showcase mm-hmm. your personality so people get to know you, but you don't have to mention a single thing about no. your personal life. You no. know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's move on to this week's giveaway. We have a giveaway every week. And hooray. this week's, yes, hooray. This week's giveaway is Hester and Harriet by Hilary Spears. And it's the story of two widowed sisters who move into a cottage together in a pretty but boring English village. Yet one Christmas, all that appears to change and a chance encounter turns their lives upside down. As the book's blurb suggests, sometimes you have to open your door to the unexpected. So yes, I've heard really good things about this book. Yes. It is it, one that I've been contemplating as a, um, a for the Pink Fibre Book Club. Oh. We haven't quite got to it yet, but I have heard really good things about this book. So um, whoever wins it, can you get back to me and let me know what you thought? That'd be yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. 
by British playwright and author Hilary Spears. So you can win by going to writerscentre.com.au slash win. Now, entries close midday, Monday, 21 March. But don't worry, if you are listening to this in the future, you can still go to writerscentre.com.au slash win and you will be able to win something else. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you want to be a freelance writer, our five-week course in magazine and newspaper writing is the fastest way to get there. Step-by-step, you'll explore how to get story ideas, approach editors, research and structure your articles, industry expectations, and much more. Enjoy the convenience of learning online in just a couple of hours each week and have your own tutor answer all your questions. Find out more at writercentercomau slash magazine. So we have a new writing craft book this week, Al. Ooh, I'm on the edge of my seat, Valerie. What have I you went, got for me? I went shopping on the weekend to my local bookshop and I bought... Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen by Mary <laughs> Norris. <laughs> you could have written this one, Val. When are we going to get yours? I'm a bit annoyed, though, because um, I, I've wrecked it already and it's only like one day old. Because I, it? Oh, I was so annoyed with myself. I tried to squish it into the bookcase because my interior designer friend, Louisa, hates the fact that I put books on top of books, you know, like I put books horizontal on top of the vertical books. And so oh, she's made Oh, I do me, that all the time. I know, so do I. But she came and rearranged my bookshelf and made me promise not to do that because it looks Why? really ugly because oh. apparently it's not very stylish. Oh, and I my bookshelf and she's right. Oh. It's not stylish at all. But in an attempt not to do that, I squished the book in and I've wrecked the cover already. Well, see, that's why you stack them when you need to. Or, anyway. Valerie, you actually clear off your bookshelf. I know, there's that too. Uh, On the back of the book, it says, a legendary New York copy editor's endlessly enjoyable life lessons in spelling and punctuation, grammar and usage, and pencils. Now, I was ready to read this uh, so that I could tell everyone about it. But after I bought this from the local bookshop, I went to the local library just to use the internet initially, Mm -hmm. walked past a book that I just picked up and it's actually, so the short answer is I can't tell you about this book yet because I haven't read it because I became absorbed in another book. So (laughs) I thought I'd mention that book too because it's about a journalist and writer and uh, it's uh, it's the memoir by David Leser, L-E-S-E-R, who of course is a presenter. I didn't know he had a memoir. It's, oh, amazing. Uh, it's actually two years old, 2014, because oh, okay. he did this other book in 2015, but <clears throat> 2014. And uh, it's, um, I picked it up and I just thought, oh, look, there's David Lewis's book. And I started reading the first page. I could not put the book down. I was sitting, uh, I was sitting at the library until it closed. 
That's a bit <laughs> awkward, though. They had to throw you out, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> Until it closed. Because I was so involved in this book. So, of course, the library closed and I had to leave. So I borrowed the book. It's called To Begin to Know, Walking in the Shadows of My Father. And what it was, it started off initially being a biography of his father, who is the legendary Bernard Lesser, who started Australian Vogue and became high up in the Vogue empire, the Condé Nast empire. Yeah, absolutely iconic. And, And I mean, embarrassingly, the first time I met David. I said, oh, hello, Bernard. Um, I know. Uh, So it started off as what was going to be a biography on on Bernard Lesser, his father, but it's turned out to be a memoir, really. You you still learn a lot about his father, of course, but it's turned out to be a memoir on David Lesser. And I could not put the book down. Once I got home, I just read the whole thing in another sitting. Wow. Fantastic book. If you're interested in, you know, in in great memoir writing or just interested in a little bit of the history of uh, Bernard and David Lesser, David Lesser, for those of you who may not be familiar, is one of the best feature writers in Mm. Australia. He writes amazing profiles. Amazing profiles. And uh, he teaches profile writing at the Australian Writers' Centre. And it's not so much if you, if you think you're going to read the book and find out about how to be a profile writer, it's not that. It's not a book about writing, but it is. But if you read the writing, you will be reading beautifully crafted writing. Hmm. Excellent book. So I didn't read Confessions of a Comma Queen, but you will get I, to that, I and you will come back to us on that at some other stage. I it shall. can be it can be a Banoffee Pie thing for you if you want. No, you can't do Banoffee Pie for reading. Banoffee pies for writing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Otherwise, you the get rules really so fat. Com- the rules are so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd get really fat. The like rules that. of banoffee pie are yeah, so complex. I have very clear rules. What's happening in the world of blogging? Ah, okay. I well, I wanted to just bring everyone's attention to a blog that I discovered. Um, in the last couple of weeks, and it is an excellent blog by an agent, a US agent. Mm. Um, actually, no, she's a literary agent currently living on the east coast of Canada. So, sorry, not US, Canadian. Yeah. Um, her name is Maria Vicente, uh, or Vicente, I don't actually know how to pronounce it, but it's M-A-R, it's Maria, V-I-C-E-N-T-E. Um, and the the blog is at mariavicente.com mm. um, and she writes fantastic posts about agency stuff. So if you're interested in sort of getting into the head of a literary agent, I very much recommend her blog. Um, uh, you know, I, it, she's written several posts of, of late that I've shared through the Writers' Centre um, social media simply because they're just winners. Like, yeah. you know, five questions that she asks every writer when she's considering um, offering them literary representation, why agents often don't. Uh, represent previously self-published books, like mm. just the stuff that you kind of want to know. Then 10 things to do for your writing career when you don't feel like writing a book, like, you know, really, that's procrasty usefulness. Um, <laughs> is, that, is that a thing? That's a yeah. thing. Um, so, I, yeah, I really recommend her blog. So if you're interested in, in, you know, if you're looking for an agent, it just gives you some insight into how agents think and what they're looking for and all those sorts of things. And I think it would uh, be they're well worth a read. We will awesome. put the link in the show notes. Awesome. Maria mm. Vicente. Mm. Now, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. 
a hundredth episode writer in residence. Ooh, who could it yes. be, Valerie? <laughs> who could it be? Well, we thought we had to mark the occasion with somebody pretty awesome and we mm. thought we would come full circle. For those yes. of you who have been with us since episode one, you may remember that our very first writer in residence was Graham Simpson. Of course, the author of the hugely successful books, The Rosie Project and The Rosie Effect. And we thought we would ask Graham to come back for yes. our 100th episode and see what he has been up to over the last couple of years because it was, it's been two years since yes. we've had him on. And a lot has happened because, as we know, The Rosie Project and The Rosie Effect have gone on to huge success. The Rosie Project... Uh, has been optioned for film and uh, at one stage Richard Linklater was um, connected to be the director and Jennifer Lawrence was announced as the star. Mm. But uh, as we discover in our conversation with Graham, sometimes things change but uh, he's got a lot of pretty exciting projects on the boil. So let's have a listen to Graham Simpson. Graham, thanks so much for joining us today. Good to talk to you, Valerie. Now, it's uh, great to have you back because this is our 100th episode and you actually kicked off So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast, by being our special guest on episode one. And, uh, and I, we really appreciate you talking to us uh, from Aberdeen, which I believe you're in at the moment. What are you doing in Aberdeen? Um, I am actually staying um, with Georgina Penny, who's a, an Australian writer who lives in Aberdeen. So I've got a couple of days just hanging out with Georgina and uh, swapping writer stories. Ah, oh, yes. Well, good fun. Uh, you're seeing the sites while you're there or you're writing or you're just having a holiday? I'm a terrible tourist. I do very little about seeing sites. I spend a lot of my life writing. So we travel by train, write on the trains. Yesterday afternoon, we, we sat around all of us writing because my wife, Anne Bust, is also a writer. And then in the evening, we read chapters to each other. So we had a very writerly sort of day. Wow. So since, um, since The Rosie Project was released in 2013 and then The Rosie Effect in 2014, a lot, has hap I'm sure, has happened in your life and, it's, and, and I'm sure your life has changed a fair bit. What are you writing now that you've been writing on trains and, and sharing chapters with each other? I'm in the final stages, the, just pre-copy edit, um, of a book called The Best of Adam Sharp which is about the consequences of a relationship being rekindled after 22 years. So I'm just winding that up now. And how did this idea come to you? Okay, it came, came to me the way a lot of writing ideas come. Um, something happened in real life and I asked, what if? So the situation here was that um, my wife and I were staying in a place in France. She heard from an ex-boyfriend from 20-odd years earlier <laughs> that he and his wife company and she invited him to come and stay with us. Um, I wasn't particularly keen on the idea at the time but in fact he and I got on very well and all was fine but I asked myself what might have happened if it had been different? What if he'd arrived and it turned out that the, there was still a, a flame there? Um, what if uh, my wife's and my marriage had been in trouble at the time? Uh, what could have happened? And that gave me the, uh, um, the impetus, the start um, of what became the best of Adam Sharp. 
And so when can fans expect this to be released, do you think? I, I don't think I know. I hope it's uh, 17th September of 2016 in Australia. Okay. Now and then when, is, the world... Sorry, go on. No, no, I was just going to say, and then other countries will follow in, in due course. Now, is this the book that you are sharing chapters with Georgina and your wife and, and discussing at the moment, or are you working on the next thing? Um, last night we were reading chapters, well, the chapter I read was from the best of Adam Sharp, um, but I will very shortly be working on the next thing, which is a, a love story, a mature age love story, set on the Camino de Santiago de Compostela, the famous uh, pilgrim's walk in France, in Spain in this case. And uh, my wife and I are just about to head off in a week or so and start doing that walk for the second time um, for research purposes. Of course, of course for research purposes. Now, when you are sharing chapters like this with other writerly friends, is that important to you? Do you do that with every book? And, and uh, what do you want, expect from them in return in, in, in terms of okay. their feedback on that chapter? Okay, so actually reading them aloud to other people isn't something that I would do, and certainly not for the whole book, um, so it's not a regular thing for me. But sending it out to beta readers is a crucial part of my writing process. So um, that, that number of readers has increased as, I guess, um, I had some success with the first couple of books, so people are really keen to do that. And I've got writers group members. I've got, I've got a range of people who bring different perspectives. So I've got one person who's a film director, and she brings a real visual perspective to it. I've got another guy um, who's a psychotherapist, and he tends to look at it from a, a human dynamics point of view. Um, another who's a literary writer, another who's a thriller writer. So you're getting all these different perspectives. Um, I send the book out to, well, this time it was 10 people, um, um, including my sister who says, I'm just Mrs. Average. Why do you want my view? And I said, that's exactly why I want your view. So it goes out to those to those 10 people or so. They send me back their... Um, their feedback, and, and I then consolidate it. Um, it. It's tremendously important to me. Um, one of the things I get them to do um, is I get them to take two or three pens. In this case, it was um, it was just two pens, um, a red pen and a blue pen, and I want them to mark down the side of the printed manuscript in blue if they're bored. If this is a passage that they might otherwise skip, and I want them to mark in red if it's a passage that has them gripped. I say, if you could not put it down at this point, you could not go to sleep, you just gripped, I want it marked in red. Now, most of the time, it's just normal reading, neither colour. Mm-hmm. When I was working on the Rosie book, mm-hmm. where I was particularly concerned with the comedy aspect, I gave people a third pen, I think it was a purple pen, and asked them to mark when they were laughing, if they were, thought it was really funny. And what I do is I then consolidate all of these so that when I... On my master copy, I'll have like five red lines at a point. That says, boy, this passage is really working. And then I'll see there's two blue lines, and that's enough for me to think two people were bored by this and were prepared to tell me. Um, and it, and it, really, if you're writing, particularly if you're writing popular fiction, if you don't have the reader's attention, then everything else is lost. I mean, there's no point in it being beautiful prose or telling them something terribly important or setting a clue if, uh, if they're going to skip that passage. So... I think the first, your first task is to engage the reader. 
Now, when you've got all these coloured pens coming back in from 10 different readers and you're consolidating everything, do you use any particular tools, as in technological tools, whether that's Word or Scrivener or whatever, to, to help you with this process in your writing process? Um, I use Word and I use paper. Um, look, I don't use Scrivener and I've tried Scrivener and, and in fact that, that's a product that should align very, very well with the way I write because I've come out of a screenwriting background, I think in terms of scenes, I think in terms of moving cards and blocks and so forth around, but frankly I just found it too much work to learn um, and I've come, out of a, I've come out of an information technology background so I'm not you know, um, technology illiterate. But the, the issue here is I actually learnt this back in IT days. There's research that says that if you have to think about the tool that you are using, you are actually diverting some of your cognitive effort onto that and away from the creative task of writing. So I don't want anything to distract me from writing as well as I possibly can. And that means you know, not having a tool that I don't use absolutely intuitively and instinctively. Now, if I felt that the extra benefit I got from the tool was was really valuable, then I would probably put more time into learning it until it was like riding a bike. But frankly, I feel I've given it, for me anyway, um, a big enough a big enough shot and I'm back to just using Word. So speaking of your former career in IT, you were an IT cons- consultant specialising in data modelling, of all things. When you were doing that in that first career, do you remember when you were first interested in writing and what you did to, to foster that interest at the time? Yeah, I was first interested in writing when I was about, I guess, 17, 18 or so, like so many people are. Mm. But I, I don't think you can count yourself as interested until you actually do something about it. And I didn't do something about it until way, way later. I was 50 years old when I enrolled in the profession, in a um, screenwriting course at RMIT. And that, for me, was the first serious thing I was doing about it. Um, the, the, the interest came, in fact, from reading a book by um, Joe Queenan about making a low-budget movie. And I, I took up the challenge, and with my partner, with my wife, we made, you know, over quite a long period of time, a 90-minute feature film shot on a you know, home video camera, um, for which I wrote the script. And that, that gave me the bug. I had no previous fiction writing experience other than at school prior to that. And so when you were 50 and you decided, you know, I'm going to enrol in a course, was that an actual, I'm just going to enrol and dip my toe in the water, see what happens, or I'm making a career change? I'm making a career change. I sold my business. Um, I went back to doing freelance work, um, which certainly wasn't as, you know, as much of a long-term career. It was just bringing in the money um, while I dedicated myself to the screenwriting course. So it was, it was a definite vocation change if you like. I mean career is a funny word because there's an expectation you'll earn money. I didn't expect to earn money. I, I assumed that I'd be supporting myself for the rest of my life um, doing um, doing my my seminars which I was then doing in freelance you know, freelance seminars and so on and I was hoping to get that down as efficiently as possible so I'd spend as much time writing but I never expected to make the living out of writing. But you certainly are now and you, you, you started off in being interested in screenplays and of course the Rosie Project started off as a screenplay after which you decided to write as a, as a novel but now it's going to become a film. Um, what, what's it been like dealing with Hollywood uh, in turning the Rosie Project into a film? 
Well, people ask me, you know, what's going on in Hollywood? And look, there was, a, there was the bit where we had Jennifer Lawrence um, attached to the film for a little while, and then that contract didn't go through, and Richard Linklater was going to direct, and then he pulled out because Jennifer Lawrence pulled out. And I just say to people, it's a roller coaster. Hollywood is an absolute mm. roller coaster, and I think the choice the smart author makes is to watch the roller coaster, you know, ooh, look at that, ooh, someone fell off, ooh, someone threw up, whatever, <laughs> rather than throw it. Fair enough. So, <laughs> so, get and so when you are writing, you it's obviously a very different process to write a screenplay than it is to write a novel. Is there anything that you, do, when you're doing one or the other, is there anything you do to get into the zone of writing a screenplay or, or the zone of writing a novel? Because your brain kind of works a little, you have to think through it differently. No, um, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say no. It isn't, of course, a totally different thing. Um, right up until the point that you put words on the page, um, it's very similar. Which means that if you're a planner, as I am, a plotter, um, the plotting process is very similar. I think for both books and novels. Um, you know, at least if you're writing the sort of book that one might envisage as being a film, which certainly the Rosie Project fits, the Rosie Effect, uh, the Best of Adam Sharp, which I'm writing now. So I. My process, whether I'm writing a screenplay or a novel, is very similar in the plotting stage, and that's a substantial part of the work. And then I sit down to put it on the page, and yes, you are using different craft to write the screenplay from what you would do writing a novel, but they're not a million miles apart. Um, I, I don't feel I have to adopt a new mindset. I'm just uh, you know, applying a different craft. I'm making a cup of tea rather than making a cup of coffee. I'm making a margarita rather than an old-fashioned, but you know, the, the broad the broad things are the same. So with The Best of Adam Sharp, you had that incident where your wife's ex-boyfriend contacted her and this sparked something, sparked the, the idea in you. And you say you're a plotter. So did you then, how long did you have a gestation period of plotting that story before you decided to, to, to put pen to paper or did you plot as you go? No, no, I don't plot as I go. Um, I, I plot first and I have a complete laid out plot on cards, on physical cards, you know, index cards, as screenwriters are fond to do, before I put anything much on paper. I might write a chapter just to get a sense of the voice and whether it's going to work and so forth. In the case of Adam Sharp, I wrote a short story um, as, as a precursor. I think it's a great way of working up a character. So I had a bit of a sense of what I wanted to do there. But then I went back, I got the entire plot sorted out and then started again. Now, when I, when I write then, it doesn't mean that those cards, that plot, um, is set in concrete. I will go back and modify as I go. Sometimes the story will take me in a different direction. You're never purely a plotter or a pantser. Mm. But I will then go and update my, my cards and so on. But I've, I've done The Best of Adam Sharp over a period of um, oh, four years now because I actually mm. plotted it between the two Rosie books. It was actually going to be the, the second book for me. And then I just went back and decided to write a sequel to The Rosie Project and put it on hold. So I then came back to it. I have done many redrafts of it. I've put lots and lots of work into it. But surprisingly, the basic beats of the plot have stayed very steady. Yeah, there's a new scene here and something deleted there, but the basic shape um, has been really solid, even around some quite significant character and tone changes. And you say that um, you are going to walk the Camino for research. So when does research come into the, the writing process? Do you all have to do your research before, like while you're plotting, so that it's all 
done by the time you start writing or do you research as you go as well? Um, it's an interesting question. I, I think um, being an old guy, um, <laughs> I, I've made a pretty conscious decision that I will write as much as I can from experience um, rather than from research. So I'm not going to be the guy to write a Regency novel or something <laughs> like that where I'm going to have to go back and was a matter of reading. So my research tends to be very much minor fill-in-the-gaps type of thing. You know, did New York have a cold winter that year? Because I'm sitting in a year that I wasn't in New York, but I, I will have been to New York. Um, you know, what, what was the 15th of February 2012, a Wednesday or a Thursday? <laughs> Those sorts of little things that I have to get right. But that we're talking about real detail stuff. Um, the, the guts, the... the, the, um, the uh, the, the personal dynamics, the characters, and um, the situations come a great deal for me from real life. And so therefore I'm drawing on things that have happened already. Now, with the Camino's an unusual situation, but we already have, Anne and I, this is a, um, a joint book with my wife Anne, um, that we already have the beats of the plot laid out quite clearly. We know how the story goes. Um, you know, it may change, but essentially we know how the story goes. We're walking the Camino to get the detail, to say when you're coming out of this village on a, on a cold winter's day, you're going to see the, the ice cracking in the trees, and, you know, picking up those, um, those little details or the, um, the, the anecdotes that you're going to get on the road. But it's, it's flesh on the bones rather than the bones themselves. Mm-hmm. So research aside that if you're writing from your own experience, um, as a writer, there's sort of some... When you're writing, you kind of, I think, develop some skills and habits like observation, observing people and noticing things, um, understanding little nuances so that you can include those little things in your writing. Did you have those skills and habits as an IT professional? Um, Did you, you know, um, or or was it something that you took note of and, and developed later? Look, certainly not as an IT professional. Um... I well, actually, I'll step back a little bit from that. For the last few years of my um, my work in the IT area, I wasn't really teaching IT. I was actually teaching consulting skills. I was teaching um, technical people how to um, how to handle um, the uh, the human side of their work. Um, and because of that, I was forced a little bit to codify to make explicit. Um, some of the things that we would tend to do intuitively because you're talking to people who are sometimes very technical, sometimes you know, on, the, on the autism spectrum, I would suggest, um, and you know, who are not good at picking up cues, knowing what's going on. So I became a bit, much, a bit more of a, an observer, I guess, a conscious observer of, of people's of dynamics and the clues that you pick up. So I guess it helped me a little bit, but I just guess as a human being, I've always been interested in, you know, in what's going on and yeah. just you know, reflecting that. Um, your books have been your last two books have been so successful, uh, and the next book is coming out in September. Do you feel, you know, is it? I'm sure it's natural to feel pressure that the next book is such a success. Um, do you use that pressure? Do you ignore it? Do you hate it? <laughs> Just accept it. You know, when, when my um, when I was talking about taking an advance for the second book in particular um, and third book at the time. Uh, my, my Australian publisher actually said to me, Graham, um, I'd suggest you don't take these advances because it's going to put a lot of pressure on you. And I, I'd run a, a business, you know, IT consultancy for 25 years. And 
if you fail to meet a deadline there, you can get sued. Um, you certainly won't get paid until you've met your deadlines and you're therefore working for nothing. You can lose your house. I had, I had, a real, I had real things at stake when I was running that business. Um, the worst that's going to happen if I don't deliver the book is I have to give back the advance. And chances are they'll give me a few years before I have to do that. So relative to what I was used to working under, the, the pressure is almost nil. Um, I don't feel any real pressure at all beyond the obvious pressure to meet a deadline. If you, I always meet my deadlines. Um, if I say I'm going to have this draft to you by 1st of March, well, let me tell you, by you know, mid-February, I'm starting to feel the pressure, just like anybody else does with a deadline looming. Um, but, but that's it. Um, nor do I feel I have to write a better book. Um, just because every time, I think that way lies madness. It's not going to happen that way. Um, what I do is I think the books are better in different dimensions. One might be a bigger seller. Another one might be more critically well-received. Another one might be one that I personally feel better about craft-wise. And, and you just have to accept that there will be peaks and troughs in all of those dimensions um, of your career. What's the best thing about being able to write full-time? these days compared to, well, being in a corporate job, I suppose. Oh, I don't have to do the corporate job. <laughs> I mean, really, um, it's, I enjoy the job. I'm living the dream. I really love the job I'm doing. It's um, tough sometimes and you're going to get some negative feedback and things are going to go wrong and all that. But, yeah, that's, that's part, of the, part of the deal. Um, when you're getting up at uh, quarter to four in the morning in the USA to catch a plane and be patted down at the airport and all that sort of stuff, you... You have to look yourself pretty squarely in the in the mirror and say, nobody is going to feel sorry for you, Graham, if you're getting up on the plane to sell your bestseller. So, you know, you are, and that's and that's and that's part of it. So, I mean, the best thing is not having to do the other job. It's not even the, having the extra time available. It's not having to worry about in my old previous job managing people, um, keeping to a budget, um, selling the next job, all those sorts of things. So, just having that monkey off the back is fantastic. So finally then, what's your advice to people who, I mean, you made your career change at 50 and there are some people listening who think that, look, it's too late, I've, you know, I've got my career now. What's your advice to people who are thinking that way and, and who want to I write? Well okay, I may well have said this in the first podcast. I always give the same advice. It's, it's absolutely fundamental. You want to be a writer and a, and a successful writer, um, then imagine you want to be a neurosurgeon and think of how much work you would have to put in. Think about the fact that you will not be able to make any excuses for that. You can't say, well, I was busy with the kids or I was busy with anything else. You've actually got to do all of those yards before they're going to let you put your scalpel into someone's brain. And I say, think about having to do the same amount of work to becoming a writer, because there are less jobs around for people making a living out of writing fiction than there are for people making a living out of being neurosurgeons. And in my experience, the people who have put in those hard yards have got somewhere. They've got to publication at least. Um, and the people who don't get to publication almost invariably haven't put in anything like that amount of work. So that's, that's the most fundamental thing. It's a, it's a profession. It's not a... It, it can be a hobby. Anything can be a hobby. Just don't expect to be out there competing with, you know, with Hilary Mantel and Tim Winton or whatever um, if you're only putting a few hours a week into it. Great advice. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Graham. Thanks, Valerie. Wow, that's exciting, Val. So a new book in September. Yes.
very exciting and I'm sure it's going to go super successful as well. Yes. Um, I think what's interesting is, of course, you know, the Rosie Project's going to be a film, um, but it reminded me of a post that I read this week in the New York Times about the Revenant author, Michael Punk. Now, he actually wrote that book somewhere in like 2002 Mm. and it sold, you know, and it's super successful now because it's the film with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy, but he wrote the book originally in 2002 or was released in 2002 and um, it sold 15,000 copies, Mm. which wasn't, massive for America no, and that was you know ages ago and that had been out of print for several years but what happened interestingly was that it, it did get optioned for films sh- not that long after it got released but it's taken this long to for the for the film to come out for for yeah. the production and hopefully that doesn't happen to Graham Simpson but um it's taken this long for the film to come out and now of course because of the film uh, the book has been re-released and it, it's instead of selling 15,000 copies it's sold half a million copies at least oh that's great news for him that's yes. brilliant but you know what's bizarre about Michael Punk is that he has this um, job. I believe it is the, he's the Deputy United States Trade Representative and the United States Ambassador to the World Trade Organization. So he's a wow. specialist yeah, in international trade and works for the government. But because he works for the government, he can't do any interviews about the book. When he walks the red carpet, at the Oscars, he can't talk to the public, to, to the media about the book. He can't engage. He's like a man of mystery. Yes. So wow. imagine how frustrating that would be to have a film starring Leonardo DiCaprio, your book selling half a million copies. Oscar, you know, the Oscar winner, Leonardo yes. DiCaprio. Yes. <laughs> he finally cracked the Oscar for your story. <laughs> That's right. But he cannot comment about the book. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah, anyway. So uh, no doubt he's writing his next book as well. But uh, um, what an unusual situation anyway. Yeah, really. So let's move on to our app pick for the week. Right. Our what have you app got? Pick, yes, our app pick is Ulysses for iPhone. Um, I came across a post on TechCrunch and we will put the link in the show notes, but um, this is a review and I thought I didn't want to reinvent the, w- the wheel. There's already a review of Ulysses mm. on iPhone, plus I'm cheap and the app is $25. <laughs> okay, you are cheap. <laughs> but... I I did read this with interest because, um, of course, there are many apps that you can use to write, but Ulysses for the iPhone is a – Ulysses is already a popular writing app on the iPad and, you know, desktop, and now there's an iPhone version. The great thing is, of course, if you're writing something, it syncs across all of your devices. So if you're halfway through writing, you know, something on your iPad you can and you need to go pick up the kids from school, you can keep writing on your iPhone, and then when you come back, you can keep writing on your desktop and it'll be all synced. But what I thought was particularly interesting about Ulysses, and it might be interesting to bloggers out there, is Ulysses is a markdown text editor, which means that it can convert to HTML very easily. So some people are finding this app very useful to actually write their blog posts because then it's really easy for them to take it off their iPhone and then put it straight onto their blog. So, yes, Ulysses for iPhone is is this week's 
suggestion. And if you do get it, if you do spend the $25, tell us. If you're not cheap. You're not cheap. Like like someone we know. (laughs) Um, Let us know about it and we'll, we'll put that link in the show notes as well. Okay. So that brings us actually to the end of this week's episode. What are you going to be up to? Well, I'm going to be making time to write my making time to write write course. (laughs) Um, Yes. And the other thing I'm doing, of course, is I'm waiting. And I just, you know, let's just have a take a moment here to consider the amount of waiting that a writer does over the course of their lifetime. Um, And I think that it's something that I think we could pretty much do a course in this, what to do when you're waiting, Mm. because it's, it's really hard to disconnect. I'm getting better as I get older, you know. Um, it's very hard to disconnect yourself from that angst of what's going on. Have they actually read the yes. manuscript? Do they hate the manuscript? Are yes. they not ringing me because they hate the manuscript or are they not ringing me because they oh. haven't read the manuscript? Oh, Where no. is it? And, you know, you know, clicking your your email inbox like 50,000 times a day, I'm still mm. doing that, people. I, I, mm. it's, I'm trying to get over it, but I can't. Mm. So, you know, there is there is that, and it it is it is a real thing. The suffering is real. Mm. Um, so the only thing you can do is uh, the only suggestion I have for anyone who may be in the same boat is is just to get stuck into something else as quickly yeah. as possible, and preferably something that will distract you. Um, yeah, absolutely, completely. Mm-hmm. Like talking to Valerie on a podcast. That's that's helpful. <laughs> I don't know. We, could, we should maybe like just do back to back episodes this week for you know. So that you can distract yourself all week. Yeah, that can be arranged. Oh, okay. But not today because <laughs> I have a twelve hundred word article due, which was supposed to be due two days ago. Oops. <gasps> Deadlines, Val. We talked I about the importance know. of them, and there it I was back there somewhere. Made a true confession. Uh, but I will be. I'm. I'm almost done. I'll be sending okay. it off today. So you don't want a procrastinate podcast with me then? No, I have to get this off or else. <laughs> anyway, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontate.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate. You will find me on Instagram without my selfie of me podcasting at mm. Alison Tate Writer and also on Facebook at Alison Tate Writer. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Valerie Koo on Facebook and you'll find me. I've been playing around with Snapchat. The Valerie Koo is the name. <laughs> I'm, I'm not very good at like doing these little stories and stuff, but I, I am getting good at sending funny faces of myself to people like as direct messages. So some of you oh, have well, been on the a, receiving end know, of that. <laughs> you're evolving, Val. That's great. I know. Ridiculous. Really awesome. I shouldn't be yep. spending my time on this. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so so much for supporting us to our 100th episode we are so excited to get here um, and until we chat again have a great week bye thanks for listening to so you want to be a writer you'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.